Well, tonight I want to begin by reminding us of some things that I've said several times throughout this study. I've not mentioned it in the last couple of weeks, and I just want to bring it to our attention so that we are mindful of it as we continue into uh, or continue on in this uh, study of Hebrews. I want to remind us that this was a letter written by a Jew to a group of Jews. Okay, This was not written to a group of Gentiles, and it was certainly not written to a group of Gentiles some 2,000 years after the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. Uh, this was a time for the life of a Jew where there was transition taking place in the minds and in the hearts and in the thinking uh, of believers because the Jews had been used to the system of the law. They were used to a system of works. They were used to a system of sacrifices and offerings. And then all of a sudden to hear that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and he's the one that you have to place your faith in, that was quite a, a shock to the religious system and that was quite a change in their thought process and in their beliefs and in their approach to their spiritual religious lives. And so as we've gone through all this, it was last week that we concluded chapter 3, verse number 19. I believe it was uh, chapter 3, yeah, verse number 19, where he was speaking of the Israelites uh, to his audience, the writer was, uh, talking about how the generation of Jews that came out of bondage from Egypt, they were not able to enter into the land of rest because of unbelief. They had known God, they had seen the power of God, they had witnessed the miracles of God, and yet when it came time to enter into that land of rest, that promised land, the generation missed out on that because they did not truly believe that God was able or capable to do what he said he would do. And so that was a transition then, or a segue into chapter 4, verse number 1, when he said, "'Let us therefore fear.'" lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest. And so I tried to show us last week that it seems that the, the writer is now talking about heaven and that being a place of rest. And we're going to build upon that this evening in a couple of moments. But he said, we need to fear for this reason, lest a promise being left. And then he said, you should seem to come short of it, meaning that you fail in this or that you, you don't do what is required, because he said in verse number 2, For unto us was the gospel, or the good news, preached, as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them. It was of no value to them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. And so the idea was this, is that there were those in the generation of Jews who had come out of the land of bondage. They knew about God. They knew the power of God. They knew the works of God. They knew all this, yet with all of their knowledge, they failed to mix faith into their lives as they moved forward, and they failed then to enter into the land of rest. The picture being drawn was this. There are people, it seems, that will miss entering into eternity, not because they don't know God, not because they don't know about God, not because they haven't seen the power of God at some point in their lives, but with all the knowledge they have of God in their head, they have never truly placed their faith in Jesus Christ. And such a thought should cause us to be afraid. It should be something that makes us examine our own personal lives and make sure that we're not still attached to works, we're not attached to emotions, we're not attached to experience. And it should make us have a concern for those we know who claim to be saved 
and yet there's not much fruit of it. It should cause us to have a measure of concern, a measure of fear that something is not right, that they can claim to be saved, and yet you don't really see a life of faith attached to their testimony. So it's something that should have our attention, and uh, trust that it will. Now, tonight we're moving on, and I'm going to have a lengthy introduction, so just bear with me, and I, I hope that this will make sense in a couple of moments. This evening, I think every one of us recognize that there are people in our country who, on a daily basis, get up and they go to work and they work hard for the money they make. Would you agree with that? There are people, they get up, they start their days early, they get up before dawn many times, they, they get up and, or before daylight, whichever it's supposed to be, but anyways, they get up early, how about that, and it's still dark outside, and as they began their day, they work hard for the money they make, for the living they provide for themselves or for their family. As you think about these people who work hard, and I mean work very hard for their way of life, I suspect and, and I somewhat remember what it was like when it was finally time to be off work. You would go home and you would just crash. I would imagine that for the people who still get up before daylight every day and they start their days and their long days and their hard days, and their tedious days, I would imagine that there are still occasion for many of those people to just come home and just crash and they don't want to do anything the rest of the evening, they don't want to do anything the rest of the night. They just want to go to bed and get a good night of rest because they know tomorrow the same schedule and the same routine awaits them and they want to be rested for the day ahead. Does this make sense? Can you identify with this at all? All right. As that is so, here's what I know from myself. Unless some of you think, ah, yeah, you've got it easy. Hold on, hold on, hold on. But here's what I know of myself. I don't have a job like that anymore. I do wake up before it's daylight. I do wake up when it's still dark outside. And I do start my day... But I don't do so knowing that I have a grueling, taxing, difficult, hard day of labor ahead of me. As I wake up and as I begin my day, I don't look to it and say, man, am I going to be hurting tonight? Man, is it going to be rough this evening whenever I get home? I mean, it's just going to be terrible. It's just going to be miserable. That's not the kind of job that I now have. And for many of you, that's not the kind of job that you have today. Many of us know what it's like to drive around in a truck or to sit in an office or uh, just kind of do what we do. And, and I think many of us would have to admit that we don't work and labor to the same extent that we did years ago when we were much younger and maybe not as advanced in life as we are today. Is that a nice way of saying it? 
That being said, I want to ask you something. Though we don't physically work as hard as we once did, do we still sometimes come do we still sometimes find ourselves coming home exhausted and drained and just worn out from the day? It seems kind of odd, doesn't it, that we would come home exhausted and drained and worn out? What'd you do all day? Sat. Well, I mean, surely you did more than that, didn't you? Well, I mean, I sat really hard, I guess. I don't know what the deal is. But, but as, I, as I was at the office and as I studied and as I did this and as I did that and, and, and the different things, I didn't come home with sore muscles necessarily. I didn't come home with an, an aching back. But, man, by the end of the day, you know what I want to do? I just want to sit. I just want to rest, and I don't want to do anything. Just tell me when supper's ready, and I'll make my way into the kitchen. And after that, I'll make my way back to the recliner and watch the game, and, and I'm content to do it. Now, somebody who works hard may look at the life I live or maybe the life you live and say, you know nothing of work. You have forgotten what it means to have it hard. And you know what we would contest? We would contest, I know what you're saying, but I can promise you it's different even though it looks easier, even though it looks cushier. You understand what I'm saying? Some of y'all don't seem to understand. It was very, very somber this morning, so I'm just going to call a timeout. Are we okay? Okay, I just want to make sure that we're, we're okay and that, that I'm, I'm speaking English tonight, okay? For those of us who have the, the cushier jobs, maybe, someone may say to us, you, you don't even know what it's like to have a hard day. And we might say to them, trade us places for a day. Put up with the phone calls that we put up with. Put up with the emails we put up. Put up with the people that we have to put up with. And no, I don't have a sore back. And no, I, I, I'm not physically exhausted, but mentally exhausted. Or mentally, I am exhausted. And, and mentally, I am drained. And, and I just don't want to do much right now. Regardless of where you're at in the spectrum, what do both people want? They want some rest. Because they know the same thing is awaiting them the next day and the next day and the next. You can take that principle and you can apply it in so many different areas of life. There are people in this world who have it far worse than us. We understand that, right? Every day they live is a fight for survival. I can't imagine what it would be like to live the way so many people in our world live. And yet, as I look at the way they live, and I'm sure they would look at us and say, man, you've got it so easy. Life is so simple for you all. You have technology. You have advancements. You have so many resources available. We would say, yeah, you're right. In many ways, we do have it easier than you. But guess what? In so many ways, because of all the conveniences afforded us, it's made our lives that much more difficult and that much more frustrating many times to deal with. And so you understand the principle, I hope. 
If you don't, I can't help you pass that because I've not done very good so far, I guess. That being said, what is the subject of conversation? In verses 1 and 2, in the previous verses of chapter 3, it is the subject of rest. Okay, it is the subject of rest. It is the subject of that idea of relaxing and settling in, settling down, recuperating, whatever it may be. And as we look in verse number 3, here's what we see, that the subject of rest is going to continue. He says, For we which have believed do enter into rest, as he said, as I have sworn to in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Now, I read that, and you probably read along with me, and you probably immediately, instinctively, because the verse is so clear, you said, Amen. Right? Or you may be like me and say, I could read that thing a hundred times and not have any idea what he's talking about. Friday, I had every intentions of coming in for a few hours, studying, getting the message ready for tonight, and then because it was Good Friday, I was going to leave, and I was going to spend the rest of the afternoon with my family. You know what the scripture did to me Friday? It ate my lunch. And I probably worked longer on Friday, the day I was intending to be a shorter day, it was one of those days where at the end of the day, I was so mentally drained and mentally exhausted, I thought, I don't even care at this point. So I read verse 3. I read it over and over and over again. And I can say this. I understand a little bit of it, but I don't understand all of it. And I'm not going to try to, to fool you and to make you think I do understand all of it. All I'm going to say to you this evening is this is I know he's still talking about rest. And I believe from what we'll see in just a moment, he is still talking about eternal rest, not temporary rest, not just a moment of rest, but he is talking about eternal rest. And as you look in the verses 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7, here is what you discover is that the writer is saying to the audience, listen, you want to do today what needs to be done so that you can have that rest, okay? You want to do it today. You do not want to harden your hearts, again, there is this plea, what appears to be a plea to make things right between them and the Lord by way of salvation. So as all that is playing out in verses 3 through 7, 3 through 8, here is what it says in verse number 9. The writer says, there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. Now, whenever he writes of the people of God, whenever he references the people of God, who is he writing about? Who is he referencing here? Well, some would say he's referencing the Jewish nation just as a whole, that it's a general reference to the, the people of Israel. But others would be of this mindset, and this is the opinion that I am of, that he is referencing those who are children of God, those who are saved. All right, so he is referencing in verse number 9, he is addressing or he is identifying a people group. He says to them, to the people of God, there remaineth therefore a rest. Now again, in, in the scriptures prior to this, the indication is, as it talks about God and the rest and that, that he observed and that he took, it's not a temporary rest, but rather it is a permanent, 
established, unending rest. So he says to the people of God that there remaineth a rest for them. What does that mean? It means this, that as the writer was writing to the the Jews, whether it was a saved person or a lost person that was reading these words, what the, the writer was saying was this, is that, friends, I want you to know that for the people of God, that for the child of God, that for the one who has mixed their faith with the knowledge of whom God is, he said, I want you to know that there is remaining a rest For the people of God. You and I have no idea what kind of lifestyle, what kind of uh, of position the Jews were in. We don't know if it was an easy life they were living. We don't know if it was a difficult life they were living. We don't know what it was, the, the, the manner of life they were living. But here is what we know. No matter what manner of life they were living, whether it were easy or whether it were difficult, there were times that life was hard and that life was difficult and that life was giving them all the challenges they wanted to deal with. And so it's as though he wants to spend just a moment here and he wants to write just a couple of thoughts, write just a couple of truths for them to understand and to know that for the people of God, for the children of God, there is a place of permanent, eternal, unending rest. Don't you know that had to sound good to some of them? I've been dealing with this, and I've been dealing with this, and I've been dealing with this, and, and, and you know, it, it just sounds good to not have to deal with that anymore. It sounds good, it sounds wonderful, it sounds delightful to to know that one day I will be able to enter into a land of rest. And I'll not have to worry about that, not now, or not then, and not ever again, past that point, past that moment. I would suspect that it was an encouraging statement. May not have been, but it could have been. Probably should have been. And why do I think it was, and why do I think it could have been and should have been? For this reason, though the words were not written to us, I would identify myself as being a part of the people of God. And if you're saved, if you've mixed faith with your knowledge of who God is, then you're saved, and if that's happened in your life, then you know why I find this encouraging and and why I find it thrilling sometimes? Because here's what it tells me. That as much as I enjoy this life, there is going to be a day where I get to enter into eternal, unending rest. That sounds really good sometimes. I'm glad it's not temporal. I'm glad it's not temporary rest. See, we love temporary rest, do we not? 
Uh, okay, I'm going to just speak for myself because I'm going to stop assuming anything on you all. I like rest, okay? I, I like rest, and, and I like temporary rest, and I like to get away from stuff. I like to go on vacation. I would take far more vacations than I take now if I had the time and the money, okay? I, I, I like rest, okay? So earlier this month when we were in New York City, I made a commitment to myself. I'm going to do a couple of things. This is Nathan's trip, and we're in New York, and here's what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to think about the church, period. I'm just I'm not going to do it. It doesn't do me any good up in New York City to think about the church. And you know what? I didn't think about the church. Susie and I didn't talk about the church. I didn't correspond with anyone in the church. I didn't do anything. I just enjoyed my family. And you know what? I loved it. I liked it. And it doesn't mean I don't like the church and all that other stuff. It just meant I enjoyed not thinking about you or preaching or studying or anything. I just enjoyed it. Yes, it is good. And if me and Brother Randy are the only one who thinks so, I don't care, all right? It was wonderful. Don't you enjoy that? But it's temporary. As we were having fun in New York City, I didn't stop and think about, now how much are we spending? How much is this costing? No, you know what I did? I just turned off the brain of emotion and the brain of care, and I thought we've saved for this, so we're just going to have fun, and we're just going to enjoy it, and I'm not going to worry about home. I'm not going to worry about anything. You know, if we come back and there's issues, we'll deal with it when we get back. And it was so enjoyable to not worry about anything. Doesn't that sound just a little bit exciting from an eternal standpoint? Oh, well, Brother Kyle, I like life. Listen, I like life also. Oh, Brother Kyle, I enjoy the life that I've been given. Listen, I enjoy the life that I've been given. But if you and I talk about this long enough, eternal rest sounds pretty good. To think that I never have to study again, that doesn't bother me. I don't need to study the Word of God because I'm in heaven. I understand everything I need to understand once I'm there. And the stuff that I don't need to understand, I don't need to study because it's no longer relevant. Doesn't that sound appealing and doesn't that sound wonderful to know that I don't have to study, that you don't have to study, that we don't have to worry about our spiritual lives anymore? Because at that point, it's done, it's finished, it's over, and we're just enjoying the rest that remaineth for the people of God. Sounds good to me. I don't have to worry about another car payment. Maybe you like car payments. Maybe that floats your boat, but it doesn't float my boat anymore. I don't have to worry about another car payment. I don't have to worry about another house payment. I don't have to worry about health insurance premiums. I'm going to heaven. I am entering into that land of rest where I don't have to worry about that anymore. My man. Okay. I think some people are going to hate heaven once they get up there. I mean, I have nothing to worry about. I have nothing to be upset about. It seems to be the impression by some. But anyways, I think the others are going to enjoy it. We're not going to have to worry about health. Listen, I teased about Susie getting older. I'm just right there behind her. And and I'm, I'm telling you, like you, I'm beginning to notice things that I never noticed 20 years ago. 
I woke up from my... Hold on, hold on. I don't need your help, Brother Jim. I woke up from my nap today hurting. I thought, how does that happen? My hip is hurting. My leg is hurting. It, it just aches. It just... I, I just laid here for two hours. Do you ever look at your physical well-being and think this isn't getting better? You should if you're not, okay? <laughs> We've got the pictures to prove it's not getting better. We ache. We hurt. We don't know why. Sometimes we do know why. Sometimes we say, well, we can still do what we used to do, but the recovery time is so much longer. Think about the day when we as the people of God enter into the land of rest. We'll never have another aching muscle. We'll never have another hurt body part. We're, we're never going to have a, a part of our body that is failing us. Think about it. Here are, are Jews, and, and again, the writer is saying to them, listen, this, this land of rest, it is, it is not just a temporary thing. It's not just something that you get to enjoy for a little bit, and then you've got to get back to the grind of things. No. Once you enter into that land of rest, it is forever. You don't have to worry about bills. You don't have to worry about payments. You don't have to worry about work. You don't have to worry about health. You don't have to worry about relationships. Well, isn't that a blessing? I don't mean this wrong, but we don't have to care anymore about what's happening down here. Because that can be a burden sometimes, can't it? What's happening with my children? What's happening with my grandchildren? What's happening between me and my spouse? What's taking place here? It's a burden we carry. And, and to someone from the outside looking in, they may say, well, man, you've got it easy. You've got it just so good. I mean, you don't even know what it's like to have troubles. We would say, oh, no, 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 no. It may be different than the troubles you're dealing with. It may be different than the issues you're struggling with. But, but man, I, I, these are burdens that I'm carrying and burdens that I'm dealing with. But once we enter into that land of rest, the writer says, there remaineth that permanent, eternal land of rest. That's well, a good thing. So much that we don't have to worry about as we enter into that land of rest. It's a wonderful promise. It's an encouraging promise. It's something we ought to be thankful for. Notice what he says in verse number 10. This is good. He says, For he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works, as God did from his. What does that mean? Well, it's further proof or further explanation of what was said in verse number 9. But he is saying to the Jews that for he or the one who has entered into the rest hath ceased from his own works. And so he is writing to people who are living, and he says, I want you to know that for those who have already passed, they've already entered into their rest. Isn't that good? 
Oh, it's thrilling. Because here's what we know whenever we're honest and we, we view the lives of other people. We know that they had their burdens. We know that they had their crosses to carry. We know that they had their issues. And if you think about this, if they were a child of God, if they were a part of the people of God, again, if they had mixed their faith with their knowledge of who God is, then here is what we as the living can know, that they, that person, has already entered into their rest and ceased from their own works. Wouldn't that be disheartening? To think that those that we loved and cared about had entered into eternity and they were dealing with the same garbage they were dealing with down here. I thought about my grandparents. My, my two granddads and one of my grandmas are already in heaven and they all profess to be saved and I have no reason to question their, their testimony of salvation. As I thought about my grandparents, you know what I thought? I thought it is a wonderful, wonderful thing to know. That them entering into their rest is not something that awaits them. It is something that they have already entered into. And every burden and every struggle and every trial that they dealt with on this earth, it is nothing but a memory, and it's something that they don't have to worry about. It is something that they don't have to deal with. And the only ones that it's a memory for are those of us who are left behind. Because I can know that for the person of God, for the child of God, that when they enter into their rest, their work on this earth is done. We're not worried about my grandfather's Alzheimer's. We're not worried about my grandmother's congestive heart failure. We're not worried about her Parkinson's disease. We're not worried about my other grandfather's weak spells that were signs of his heart going out. We're not worried about that for them anymore because we have this assurance that they have already entered into their rest. It is a wonderful, exciting encouraging truth to know that when the child of God takes their last breath on this earth and they enter into eternity everything they dealt with down here is immediately over You couldn't talk to a person in heaven about house payments because they're not talking about house payments up there. You can't talk to them up there about Medicare coverage and which plan they're on. They're not worried about it. You can't talk to them about what part on them is hurting and what part on them is aching and what part on them is failing because up there nothing is hurting and nothing is aching and nothing is failing. They've entered into their rest. And their work is done, and their work is complete, and their work is finished. When you look at a child of God who's dealt with their issues, whatever they were, and someone may say, well, they had it pretty good. I don't care if you think they had it pretty good. They had their own issues. But when you look at the child of God who is laying in that casket, and you know that for them, from their testimony, they have entered into eternity, and into that eternal rest. There may be tears just because that's how we're prone down here to, to, to grieve and to react, but to just stop for a moment and think, that for them it's done, it's over, it's finished, and they don't have to worry about any of this? Wow. 
That's good. So he says in verse number 9, There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Verse number 11 doesn't seem to be the most encouraging, but we'll deal with this just very briefly and then we'll be done. He says, Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. If you look in verse number 11 and you just read this from our perspective of things, he says, let us therefore labor to enter into the rest. It sounds almost as though the writer is saying this, now you've got to work hard if you want to enter into that rest. This is up to you and how much effort you put into this. And you've got to exert yourself and you have to apply yourself to, to enter into that land of rest. But if you consider the whole context of Scripture, if you consider the whole of Scripture, that's not at all what the Word of God teaches. I don't enter into the land of rest and you will not enter into the land of rest. And no one prior to us has entered into the land of rest because we labored enough to get to enjoy that land of rest. That's not how it works. So what is he saying to the believers? Let us labor, therefore, to enter in. Okay, well, the word labor there, besides the toil and the work and all the other things that we would associate with it, it means to be diligent in something. It means you want to be diligent in this, in this idea of entering into rest, lest any man fall after the same example or follow in the same example of unbelief. Go back to what he said in verses 1 and 2. Let us therefore fear. And here's what we need to do. We need to be mindful of this. That, Like in chapter 3, verse number 19. That they did not enter into the land of rest. Not because of something they didn't do by way of labor or by way of effort on their part. But they failed in the area of belief that God could take them into that land of rest. He's writing to Jews who, as I said a moment ago, are coming out of a works-based mentality. They are coming out of sacrifices and offerings and, and religious observations and doing this and doing this and doing this and doing this. And, and he's already said we've got to make sure that, that our knowledge of God has been mixed with faith. And so as I write to you about this land of eternal rest that awaits the people of God, as I write unto you about those who have already entered into their land of rest, what we as believers or what we as people need to be diligent in is this, is that somehow we don't follow and fall after the same example of those who died in the wilderness, not entering into that rest because truly we've not ever believed. If you think about it, that can be a bit disheartening. How can such a statement be disheartening? Because I believe from what the Scripture would tell us, and I know that some would disagree with me on this, but I, 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 I believe that this would be the case. That there would be some who have known of God, who have known of the power of God, who have known the miracles of God, the workings of God, whatever you'd like to, to call it tonight, They've known much about God, 
But because they never gave serious attention to their faith and whether or not they had mixed their knowledge of God with true saving faith, what will happen is this. The rest they believe they will one day enter into, they will not find when they pass from this life. Like you, I have heard people say on many occasions, well, I know they're in a much better place. And I've thought to myself, how in the world could you think they are in a better place? They had no testimony of salvation. They had no testimony of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. They had no fruit to back up a testimony of salvation. I mean, there is nothing about this person's way of life that would make you think they were actually truly saved, born again, a child of God, a part of the people of God. They did not enter into a land of rest. They went from bad to far, far worse. Because they were never diligent to consider their spiritual lives in the way that they ought. They never gave attention to, okay, my personal relationship with the Lord. Is it truly rooted and grounded and established in a saving faith in His work in my heart and in my life? Is that what it's founded upon or is it founded upon my knowledge of God, His you know, his workings in my life, but me not ever knowing. I, I want us to understand this, that as encouraging as the land of rest is, as wonderful as the promise is for the child of God, there will be some, it seems, who assume that that land of rest is awaiting them, and when they pass from this life, they'll not know rest. They'll only know torment and agony, and wailing, and gnashing of teeth. What's important that we know? It is important that we know that we are a child of God. If we know that we know that we know that we're a child of God, we can sit here today and say, you know what, no matter what anyone else thinks of my life, whether it's a hard life or an easy life in comparison to them, here's what I can know. I've got my own set of issues. I've got my own set of struggles. We've got our own problems that we deal with, whatever it may be. Here's what I know, though, because of my salvation, that one day I'll get to enter into rest. It doesn't mean that we have to want to hurry up and check out of this life so that we can enter into that, but it's something to look forward to. It's something to be excited about. And whenever someone has a testimony of salvation, they have lived out their testimony of salvation. There is fruit that would support their testimony of salvation. Boy, when their life comes to an end, we don't have to grieve. We can look at them and say, you know what, in a way I'm just a little bit envious. 
I'm not jealous per se, but you know, there's just something about eternal rest. That sounds kind of nice. It sounds good to just be done with all the trials and the issues and whatever it may be. And so tonight as we're dismissed, I just want to say this. You need to know that you know that you know that you know that you're saved. You need to know that. You want to take that into serious consideration. But if you know that, I want you to enjoy the encouraging truth from Scripture that for the people of God there remaineth therefore a rest. It's mine, it's yours to one day enjoy. And one day we'll lay the old, tired, worn out body down. And we're going to enter into heaven and it's going to be good. That's encouraging. No matter what junk you have to deal with this week. And that's a blessing. No matter what junk you've been dealing with the last couple of weeks. To know that one day, rest. Eternal, permanent rest will be mine. Thank you, Lord. Amen? Amen? All right. Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Fathers, we come to you this evening. Lord, I am thankful for the writings of this writer to fellow Jews.